The Runaway Couple, from Charles Dickens' Children's Stories, retold by his granddaughter. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cadastra. Dickens' Children's Stories, retold by his granddaughter. The Runaway Couple. Supposing a young gentleman, not eight years old, was to run away with a fine young woman of seven, would you consider that a queer start? That there is a start as I, the boots at the Holly Tree Inn, have seen with my own eyes, and I clean the shoes they ran away in, and they was so little that I couldn't get my hand into em. Master Harry Walmer's father, he lived at the Elms, away by Shooter's Hill, six or seven miles from London. He was uncommon proud of Master Henry, as was his only child, but he didn't spoil him neither. He was a gentleman that had a will of his own, and an eye of his own, and that would be minded. Consequently, though he made quite a companion of the fine bright boy, still he kept the command over him, and the child was a child. I was undergardener there at the time, I, and one morning, Master Harry, he comes to me and says, Cobbs, how should you spell Nora, if you were asked? And he took out his little knife, and began cutting that name and print all over the fence. The next day, as it might be, he stops, along with Miss Nora, where I was hoeing weeds in the gravel, and says, speaking up, "'Cobbs, I like you. Why do I like you, do you think, Cobbs? Because Nora likes you.' "'Indeed, sir,' says I. "'That's very gratifying.' "'Gratifying, Cobbs,' says Master Harry. "'It's better than a million of the brightest diamonds to be liked by Nora. You're going away, ain't you, Cobbs? Then you shall be our head gardener when we're married.' and he tucks her in her little sky-blue mantle under his arm and walks away. I was the boots at this identical holly-tree inn, when one summer afternoon the coach drives up, and out of the coach gets these two children. The young gentleman gets out, hands his lady out, and gives the guard something for himself, says to my governor, the landlord, "'We're to stop here to-night, please. Sitting-room and two bedrooms will be required. Mutton-chops and cherry-pudding for two. and tucks her under his arm, and walks into the house.' much bolder than brass. I had seen him without their seeing me, and I gave the governor my views of the expedition they was upon. Cobb, says the governor, if this is so, I must set off myself and quiet their friends' minds, in which case you must keep your eye upon em, and humour em, until I come back. But, before I take these measures, Cobbs, I should wish you to find out from themselves whether your opinion is correct. So I goes upstairs, and there I finds Master Harry on an enormous sofa, drying the eyes of Miss Nora with his pocket-handkerchief. Their little legs was entirely off the ground, of course, and it really is not possible to express how small them children looked. "'It's Cobbs! It's Cobbs!' cried Master Harry, and he comes a-running to me, and catching hold of my hand. Miss Nora, she comes running to me on the other side, and catching hold of my other hand, and they both jump for joy. And what I had took to be the case was the case." "'We're going to be married, Cobbs, at Gretna Green,' says the boy. "'We've run away on purpose. "'Nora has been in rather low spirits, Cobbs, "'but she'll be happy now we have found you to be our friend.' "'I give you my word and honour upon that. "'By way of luggage the lady had got a parasol, a smelling bottle, "'a round and a half of cold buttered toast, eight peppermint drops, and a doll's hairbrush. "'The gentleman had got about a dozen yards of string, a knife, three or four sheets of writing paper folded up surprisingly small.' an orange, and a shiny mug with his name on it. "'What may be the exact nature of your plans, sir?' says I. "'To go on,' replies the boy, "'in the morning, and be married to-morrow.' "'Just so, sir. Well, sir, if you will excuse my having the freedom to give an opinion, what I should recommend would be this. 
I'm acquainted with a pony, sir, which would take you and Mrs. Harry Walmers, Jr., to the end of your journey in a very short space of time. I am not altogether sure, sir, that the pony will be at liberty to-morrow, but even if you had to wait for him it might be worth your while. They clapped their hands and jumped for joy and called me good cobs and dear cobs, and says I, Is there anything you want at present, sir? We should like some cakes after dinner, answers Mr. Harry, and two apples and jam. With dinner we should like to have toast and water. But Nora has always been accustomed to half a glass of currant wine at dessert, and so have I. They shall be ordered, sir, I answered, and away I went, and the way in which all the women in the house went on about that boy and his bold spirit was a thing to see. They climbed up all sorts of places to get a look at him, and they peeped, seven deep, through the keyhole. In the evening, after the governor had set off for the elms, I went into the room to see how the runaway couple was getting on. The gentleman was on the window seat, supporting the lady in his arms. She had tears upon her face, and was lying very tired and half asleep, with her head upon his shoulder. "'Mrs. Harry Walmers, junior fatigued, sir?' "'Yes, she's tired, Cobbs. She's been in low spirits again. She isn't used to being in a strange place, you see.' "'Could you bring a Norfolk biffin, Cobbs? I think that will do her good.' "'Well, I fetched the biffin, and Master Harry fed her with a spoon. But the lady being heavy with sleep and rather cross, I suggested bed, and called a chambermaid. But Master Harry must needs escort her himself, and carry the candle for her. After embracing her at her own door, he retired to his room, where I softly locked him in. They consulted me at breakfast. They had ordered sweet milk and water, and toast and currant jelly overnight, about the pony— and I told him that it did unfortunately happen that the pony was half-clipped, but that he'd be finished clipping in the course of the day, and that to-morrow morning at eight o'clock he would be ready. My own opinion is that Mrs. Harry Walmers, Jr. was beginning to give in. She hadn't had her hair curled when she went to bed, and she didn't seem quite up to brushing it herself, and it getting into her eyes put her out. But nothing put out Mr. Harry. He sat behind his breakfast cup, tearing away at the jelly, as if he'd been his own father. In the course of the morning Master Harry rung the bell, it was surprising how that there boy did carry on, and said in a sprightly way, Cobbs, is there any good walks in the neighborhood? Yes, sir, there's Love Lane. Get out with you, Cobbs. That was there the mite's expression. You're joking. Begging your pardon, sir, there really is a Love Lane, and a pleasant walk it is, and proud shall I be to show it to yourself and Mrs. Harry Walmers, Jr. Well, I took him down Love Lane to the Water Meadows, and there Master Harry would have drowned himself in another minute to getting out a water-lily for her. But they was tired out. All being so new and strange to them, they were as tired as tired could be, and they laid down on a bank of daisies and fell asleep. They woke up at last, and then one thing was getting pretty clear to me, namely that Mrs. Harry Walmers, Jr.'s temper was on the move. When Master Harry took her round the waist, she said he teased her so— and when he says, Nora, my young May Moon, your Harry tease you, she tells him, yes, and I want to go home. A boiled fowl and baked bread and butter pudding brought Mrs. Walmers up a little, but I could have wished, I must privately own, to have seen her more sensible to the voice of love and less abandoning herself to the currants in her pudding. However, Master Harry, he kept up, and his noble heart was as fond as ever. Mrs. Walmers turned very sleepy about dusk and began to cry. Therefore, Mrs. Walmers went off to bed as per yesterday, and Master Harry ditto repeated. About eleven at night comes back the governor in a chaise, along of Master Harry's father and an elderly lady. And Master Harry's door being unlocked by me, Master Harry's father goes in, goes up to the bedside, bends gently down, and kisses the little sleeping face. Then he stands looking at it for a moment, looking wonderfully like it, and then he gently shakes the little shoulder. Harry, my dear boy, Harry! 
Master Harry starts up and looks at his pa. Such is the honour of that might, that he looks at me, too, to see whether he has brought me into trouble. I am not angry, my child. I only want you to dress yourself and come home. Yes, pa. Master Harry dresses himself quick. Please, may I? Please, dear pa, may I kiss Nora before I go? Master Harry's father, he takes Master Harry in his hand, and I leads the way with the candle to that other bedroom where the elderly lady is seated by the bed, and poor little Mrs. Harry Walmers, Jr. is fast asleep. There the father lifts the boy up to the pillow, and he lays his little face down for an instant by the little warm face of poor little Mrs. Harry Walmers, Jr., and gently draws it to him. And that's all about it. Master Harry's father drove away in the chaise, having hold of Master Harry's hand. The elderly lady, Mrs. Harry Walmers, Jr., that was never to be, she married a captain long after and went to India, went off next day. End of The Runaway Couple Recording by Cadastra